So today we are calling our message Sister Wives. So I don't know if you are a, uh, below, you're above the reality TV reference. Uh, and so if you're the spiritual type and you need a more spiritual uh, title for this, we could call it Unexpected Blessings. So Sister Wives or uh, parentheses, Unexpected Blessings. Uh, but we're in part four of our death to selfie series, and we've been discovering how to stop the constant comparison of our life to the edited, glossy version uh, that the world presents us of all the lives around us, and how to discover our true identity and true peace and who God is and what he's doing in our life. Uh, We learned in week one that God can't bless who we pretend to be. We looked at the story of Jacob and Esau and how Jacob pretended to be Esau in order to steal his blessing. Uh, Then week two, we learned to be where of the bowl, how, how the enemy is constantly presenting us a bad trade. Uh, Esau took a bad trade from Jacob, and we learned how we need to be careful not to exchange the things that we want the most for the things that we want now. Last week, we, we went backwards a little bit, all, all the way back to Abraham and even to his father, Terah. We discovered how the enemy wants to prevent us from reaching our purpose, and he's going to use our pain to do that. And so we talked about how to move past pain and in to purpose. And if you missed any of those messages, I can't recommend enough to go to citychurchob.com to the media tab. You can download the podcast right there. You can go to iTunes and search for City Church of Olive Branch and do it that way. Um, I highly encourage you to check that out. I think it will make a great, great impact on your life. Uh, Today, we are going to cover a ton of scripture. In fact, we're going to be reading more verses today. I think this is the second most verses I've ever done in a message. Once I got really crazy and I did the whole book of Jonah, which is four chapters, and we covered every verse. Uh, We're not going to do that quite today, but we are going to read a little bit over 50 verses today. So buckle up, get comfortable, um, get ready, uh, because I think that God is going to speak. And we're going to fly through some of this. There's going to be some portions where I'm not really stopping and expounding a whole lot, just to kind of make sure you know all the details of the story, Um, but there'll be other spots where we do really dive in and dig in to what is going on in this story of Jacob. What we're going to see is Jacob actually find the love of his life. Uh, He's going to to meet a woman that he falls in love with. He's going to get married to her and to someone else. He's going to have some babies and some kids, uh, and we're going to try to discover what it all means. And in this cast of characters that we're going to look at today, uh, everybody is trying to control their future and to manipulate their destiny, and we're going to see how those same tendencies play out in our own lives. So Genesis chapter 29 to give you a little context, Jacob is on the run from Esau. This is right after uh, Jacob has stolen Esau's blessing. He's pretended to be Esau. He's gone into before his dad. Uh, so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, what happened right before this. And so he's on the run, and he's headed uh, to his uncle's house. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 1. It says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with th- three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. So the stone is so big that they have to wait. The shepherds kind of have an agreement. They're they're all going to come to the well around the same time of day, and they're going to wait for everybody to get there so that everybody can help roll this stone away. And so that's uh, where we find the story. Jacob shows up. 
never been here before, doesn't know anything about what's going on, uh, and you probably know somebody just like this who wants to put in their two cents about something they don't know anything about. Uh, and he asks the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? He says, we're from Haran. And then he says, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered, which is good news for Jacob because that's where he's headed. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. So Rachel's on the way, and this is where Jacob makes this, this statement uh, that puts his foot in his mouth. He said, look, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. In other words, let's not wait for these other guys to get here. We don't have time for that. Let's get this water done. Let's get this taken care of. Um, he thinks he knows what he's talking about. And they say in verse 8, we can't. Until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. It's too big. It's too heavy. We're waiting on the other guys to show up. Then verse 9, while he was still talking with them, enter the girl. Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was the shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. There is no limit to the crazy things a guy will do to impress a girl. This stone is so big that these guys are waiting for a whole pack of them. A whole group of shepherds have to roll it away. Jacob sees a hottie walk up, and he's like, I got this. Throw a couple, a couple more 45s on the bar. Let me show you what I can do. And he rolls the stone away by himself. He probably jacked his back up for a month. But he got it done to impress this girl. And then we see something that we don't see often in Scripture, something very, very forward. Jacob in verse 11 says, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. So he's very forward. He's not going to wait. He knows what he wants. He knows what he likes. And he goes up to this girl. First time he meets her, he kisses her, and then he starts to cry. Now, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on here that, that we can't understand. This was uh, some cultural things here, but there's also some deep emotional stuff that we can't understand. Uh, Jacob is, is quickly falling for this girl. Now, you have to understand, this is Rachel is Jacob's cousin. Uh, in the Old Testament time, it was not taboo for you to kiss your cousin. Uh, so this is a, a message that... Four, this is 4,000 years ago, by the way. Jacob was 2,000 years before Jesus. So 4,000 years ago. So there's some things culturally and historically that have changed. Some times have changed, but the truth has not changed. And so we're going to see some things in this story that we can't relate to. I can't relate to kissing my cousin. I hope you can't relate to kissing your cousin. Uh, if you can, we'll pray for you at the end of service. Uh, but, but we can relate to, to the emotions that Jacob and the others in this story are going to go through. Verse 12, he has told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. At this point in time, Jacob is 76 years old and still single and very ready to mingle. Uh, like he is, he is on the prowl. He's on the lookout for something. 76 years old and still single, but he's actually not really out there looking for a woman. He's on the run trying to save his life from his brother Esau. Uh, and yet, despite the situation that Jacob got himself into, despite this problem that he had brought upon himself, Jacob comes upon the love of his life. He's on the run from his brother who wants to kill him, and he stumbles into his destiny. And isn't it amazing how, how even when we mess up, how even when we get ourselves into a situation, how even when we blow it, God will show up with an unexpected blessing? That's why it's our subtitle for our message today. That, that even when I fail, God is still good. Amen? And he's good to Jacob in this moment. 
God can do amazing things when we least expect it in the places when we're not even looking for him to show up. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. So again, we see something culturally we can't relate to. I can't ever remember kissing my uncle. Can't ever remember my uncle kissing me. Uh, But this is something that that in their day and age, in their time, it was totally appropriate. It wasn't weird. It wasn't awkward. It It was to be expected. If Laban hadn't kissed him, it would have come across as a diss, so that, that, hey, I'm not excited to see you. I'm not happy that my family has arrived. Uh, but it won't be long. It'll just be a few verses, and we're going to discover that Laban didn't actually have good intentions for Jacob. Even though he rolls out the red carpet for him, even though he welcomes him with open arms, even though he begins to kiss him openly in public, Laban didn't have good intentions for Jacob. And, and what we need to see from this is just because somebody hugs you and kisses you doesn't mean they want what's best for you. Young people, remember that. Just because somebody seems really happy that you're around, just because somebody seems really into you, just because somebody's really good to you doesn't mean that they're good for you. Because a lot of times their motives are totally selfish. And Laban's motive, we're going to discover, is very selfish in this situation. Verse 14, then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Jacob, you're a hard worker. You show up to work on time. You're doing the things that are asked of you. Uh, I want to I make you an official employee. Uh, I want to pay you. What are your wages? What's your price? And so Jacob knew exactly what he wanted. 76 and single, he knew what his price was. It says, verse 16, Laban had two daughters. The older The name of the older was Leah. We haven't seen her yet. And the name of the younger was Rachel. We have seen her. Then it says, Leah had weak eyes. Now, that phrase that the Bible uses for weak eyes, we don't know exactly what that, that what is it implying? Obviously, it was some sort of an expression in the Hebrew. It didn't just mean that her eyes were weak. There there was something there. We do know this. It wasn't a compliment. Uh, That this was not something that you wanted attached to you, that you had weak eyes. So some scholars believe maybe she had cross eyes. Some believe maybe she had a lazy eye. Maybe she had some crazy eyes. We don't know what it was, uh, but it was kind of like saying, uh, you know, you're like, hey, man, what's what she look like? Somebody's trying to hook you up with their friend. Well, what's she look like? She's got a great personality. Uh, it's not what you want to hear. Oh, she got weak eyes. Oh, dang. Uh, so that's the situation for Leah. Uh, and to make things worse, not only does Leah have weak eyes, but she got a hot sister. Uh, so not only is Leah a little ratchet on her own, she's got this hottie in the house that everybody wants to be with. Rough situation for Rachel. It says Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure. And was beautiful. So, so the Bible builds this contrast between, the, between these two women. One had a lovely figure. One had weak eyes. Guess which one Jacob was into? See, this might be 4,000 years ago, and there might be some things we can't relate to, but some things never change. Uh, Jacob was into the one who was attractive. Jacob lived at a very surface level. Jacob had not learned to go beyond the surface yet. He hadn't learned to explore the depth in somebody. And so he stayed at the surface level. This one's beautiful. I'm in love with her. So verse 18 says exactly that. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said to Laban, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, I love my wife with all my heart, and she would be worth 
working seven years for. I'm glad I didn't have to lead with that when I went to her dad and asked for her hand in marriage. So, Jim, I'm in love with Melody. I'd like to pursue marriage with her. I will spray lime because that's what he does. I'll spray lime for you for seven years in order to marry Melody. I'm glad that thing has changed culturally. Now, my wife is very, very pregnant, and we may have a baby this week, and we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. We, we might have a daughter, and if I have a daughter, I reserve the right to change my mind. I might get old school really quick uh, when it comes to some of these old standards. You're going to have to work seven years before you touch that girl. Uh, but, but I'm glad it wasn't the case when I got married. Funny how things change, right? Verse 19, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. How hot was Rachel? That he said, I'm going to work for seven years to marry you. How beautiful was she? And then we go on and we get kind of the sweetest statement in all the Bible. This is, this is the verse that, I mean, this will make a great Valentine's Day sermon. This is a great, I mean, the thing for you to have women as your, your Facebook status. Like, I'm looking for a man like this. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, right? Oh, how sweet. And then the Bible gets real one verse later. That's the real sweet. That sounds really nice, but then it gets real. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me your wife, or my wife, excuse me. Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. (laughs) Who tells their father-in-law, I'm ready to be with your daughter? This is the Bible. Don't get offended at me. I'm just preaching what the Bible says. Uh, People think we got to make the Bible come to life. You don't have to make the Bible come to life. The Bible is alive. The Bible is amazing. If you're bored reading the Bible, it's because you're not reading it right. Uh, It's incredible, some of the stuff that is in here. So Jacob is ready for his wedding night. He's ready. He's 83-year-old virgin. He's ready. Been waiting for this a long time. Verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people of the place, and he gave a feast. So he threw a a wedding party. Even back then, the in-laws, the... Women's parents were throwing the wedding, I guess. Uh, so we don't know what was going on at this feast. The Bible doesn't say, but I think we can infer that there was some serious uh, adult beverages being consumed. Because watch what happens next. Verse 23, when evening came, he, he being Laban, took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. He brought which daughter? Leah. Which daughter did Jacob want to marry? Rachel. How drunk was Jacob? Okay, how drunk do you have to be to sleep with the wrong woman, number one? But especially when one of them's a 10 and one of them's like a 3, right? Like, like one of them's just spectacularly beautiful and the other one's, oh, crazy eyes. Like, Jacob was really messed up in this moment. Verse 24, having some fun with this, but I also think there's some truth there. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. And this next verse, I know I've preached on this once before a couple of years ago, but this verse kills me every time I read it. This is one of the funniest things in all the Bible. When morning came, there was Leah. Hey, baby. Hey, Jacob. Great night last night. I can't do crazy eyes. I don't know. I was cross-eyed until I was three. I had surgery on my eyes when I was three. So I do not cross my eyes. Um, I'm not going back there. God delivered me from that. I'm not going back. So... You can insert whatever crazy eye look you want, but imagine he wakes up and, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Walk of shame coming. He goes straight to Laban. He says, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? And now we have a pivotal statement from Jacob. I have a lot of fun with this message, but it is about to get real. 
Jacob makes this statement that, that, that changes everything in his life. He says to his uncle Laban, why did you deceive me? What's Jacob mean? It means deceiver. See, Jacob was the deceiver. He was the one who grasped at the heel. That was his reputation from the beginning of his life. That was what he did. It's the reason why he was even there in the first place. It's the reason why he even met Rachel to begin with. Is he was on the run from his brother because he had caused this great deception. And now all of a sudden the trickster gets tricked. The one who his whole life has been trying to fool all of other people has all of a sudden been made a fool of. You know, sometimes you can think that you got away with something for a long time. You can think that God didn't see. You can think that, that you pulled the, eye, the wool over the eyes of people around. Jacob's been gone for seven years. Esau hasn't come and hunted him down. He found the love of his life. He's got a good job. Man, everything seems to be going Jacob's way. All of a sudden, he's getting a little cocky. He thinks, you know what, man? I did the right thing when I stole that blessing. He's feeling really good about himself. And he thinks he got away with it. And seven years later, it catches up with him. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What a man reaps or sows, he will reap. See, it doesn't come back immediately. It doesn't come back right now. And this doesn't cancel out grace. This doesn't mean that God's grace wasn't still there. It doesn't mean that God's forgiveness wasn't still available. It was. We're going to see God do great things in Jacob's life. But don't be a fool and think there's not a consequence for sin. Don't think that sin isn't going to bring pain into your life. And all of a sudden, Jacob, who thought he'd pulled one off, who thought he'd gotten away with one, has the same deception pulled on him. Now, I think Jacob should have been smarter than this. Because Jacob wasn't even the one who conceived the the trick on Esau. Do you guys remember who it was? His mother, his mother Rebecca. You know who Rebecca's brother was? Laban. He's at the brother of the person who came up with the deception in the first place. She said, hey, why don't you go act like your brother Esau? The same generation, her brother saying, hey, why don't you go act like your sister Rachel? Some jacked up things going on in this family. This is the family that God chose to bring Jesus through. That should encourage you. Man, as messed up as this family is, as man, just dysfunctional, generational stuff going on here. God said, I'm bringing Jesus to the world through this family. That encourages me anyway. Gives me some hope for us that God's still going to use us despite our junk, despite the things going on. But, but understand it, if you live a lie long enough, if you don't repent, if you don't get right, eventually morning will come and you'll wake up next to Leah. You try to be somebody you're not, if you... Be like Jacob, you go around pretending, prostering, trying to fool people, trying to pull things over on people, trying to take advantage of people. You may get away with it for a while. You may get away with it for a long while. Seven years is a pretty long time. But eventually, it's going to catch up with you. I see this happen all the time with young people who, who think, man, somebody offered me this thing to smoke or this thing to snort or this thing to shoot up. And I, I can do this for a little while. I can have some fun. I can party. It's not, I'm not going to get hooked on it. And they don't, maybe for a while. But then seven years later, they wake up next to Leah. And there's something next to them. It's got a hold of them. There's something next to them that's going to be with them for the rest of their life. That they allowed, they tolerated, they let hang around. These things happen all the time. There's a story that I've heard, and maybe you've heard this story before, but there's a, a man who's a contractor. This contractor has an employee who serves him faithfully for 40 years. And the employee is finally getting to the point in his life to to retire. And so the contractor says, okay, before you retire, I've got one more house for you to build. 
Here's the specifications. Here's the blueprints. I need it done exactly as it says right here. And, and so the, the man goes out to build this house, and he's like, man, I'm at the end of my career. I've been cutting corners this whole time. The boss has never caught me, and I'm just going to take it easy on this one. So he gives it his worst effort he ever has. He cuts corners everywhere he goes. He, he doesn't do things up to code. Nothing is built correctly. He's like, it's not a big deal. I'm not working for this guy anymore. Anyway, I'm going to get my last paycheck and be done with him. So he goes back uh, to the boss, and he says, hey, boss, I'm done with the house that you told me to build. The boss says, man, thank you for 40 years of great service. And he tosses in the keys. He says, the house is for you. You see, we're building our own house. You know, and we may think that we can cheat on the test and it's not, nobody's going to find out. We, we may think that we can show up to late, work late and nobody's going to realize. We can think that we can cut some corners that, well, nobody really knows if I'm reading the Bible or not. So what difference does it make? But the only person we're really cheating is ourselves. The only person who's going to pay the price when we cut those corners, when we don't have a good work ethic, when, when, when we try to, to skate through life, the person who's going to live in that house is us. So know that you're building your own house, and we've got to build it well. Amen? Verse 26, Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. That would have been really helpful seven years ago. Thanks. Appreciate that information at this point. Finish this daughter's bridal week. In other words, I'm not going to let you ruin my older daughter's honeymoon. She's been looking forward to this. So apparently they've been scheming this up for a while. Like the girls were in on this, or at least Leah was in on it. Uh, Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of hard work. 14 years. I hope she's really, really gorgeous, Jacob. Uh, Verse 28, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah Sucked it up, got through it, did what he had to do. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Side note, this isn't totally related to to the direction of the message, but I think it's really important to see it here. There's some symbolism in these two marriages that teaches us about the gospel. See, Leah... Uh, the marriage to Leah is symbolic uh, of the law of religion. See how, how we try to work to get to God. We try to work to accomplish something. We try to work to, to get somewhere at the end of seven years. Seven is the number of completion. It's very significant in Scripture. So, God, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to get there. I'm going to try to live this perfect life. I'm going to try to live up to your expectations. And at the end of those seven years, you don't even get what you thought you were going to get to begin with. It's the picture of the law, the picture of religion. But the marriage to Rachel is the opposite. It's the picture of grace. It's the picture of the gospel. You see, he marries Rachel, and then he works seven years for her. You see, you don't have to work to get to God. You get God when you come to him. You receive the fullness of who he is, the fullness of his blessing, the fullness of his love, the fullness of his grace. And then you go out and you serve him, not because you have to, but out of your great love for him. He had great love for Rachel, so it said it, it, seven years was like a few days. It didn't feel like work because she was worth it to him. And that's what it's supposed to be like when we truly give our life to God. It's not work to go out and serve him. It's, man, God has been so good to me. I get to respond to that and walk that out. It's a, a beautiful picture in these two marriages. I want you to write down these two words as we transition in our message. Write down approval and achievement. Approval 
an achievement. You see, we're, we're going to see, we're going to zoom in on Leah and Rachel. We've focused mostly on Jacob through this point in the message. Now we're going to zoom in on, on Leah and on Rachel, and we're going to see these twin motivators, how one wife was motivated by approval and the other wife was motivated by achievement. And we're going to see, I think, that, that we identify with that a lot. That we have these same motivations. Sometimes we may not even be real, may, may not even be aware of it, but these can be very powerful motivators for us in life. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, verse 31. Let me say this real quick. I'm grateful that God sees the unloved. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. When God saw that Jacob had no interest in Leah, he said, I got an interest in you. He said, Jacob may not realize what's inside of you. Jacob's a fool. He doesn't even like himself anyway. But I love you, Leah. I know what's in you. I know that there's more than just the surface. There's more than just the appearance. I know what I've placed inside of you. And so I'm going to choose you. I'm going to take the one that man has rejected, the one that man has neglected, the one that man has ignored, and I'm bringing you in, and I'm using you. Don't you love that we serve a God who selects the things that man rejects? I want to speak for just a minute to those in this room who, who know the, the pain of neglect, the pain of rejection, uh, the, the child whose dad left. Something else was more important. Someone else was more important, and, and he wasn't there in your life, and you felt that pain, that sting of neglect, the, the person who lost a relationship because somebody found something else that met their needs a little better, that something else w- was more what they were looking for, and you felt that sting of being ignored, that sting of being rejected. I want to speak to the one who's been rejected or, or, or isolated or ostracized by a group of people. Maybe there's a group of people at school, young person, that, that you so badly want to be a part of. And you feel like, man, you're never going to be good enough to be accepted by that group. Or, or some people that you work with or, or family or neighbors or whoever it might be. I want to speak to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who doesn't get invited to all the parties on Friday night. Who isn't welcome to any seat at the lunchroom table. To everybody in this room who's ever felt the sting of rejection. And here's what I want to say to you. I want you to know today that God has a way of selecting the ones the world rejects. If you feel rejected today, if you feel overlooked, if you feel ignored by a coach, a teacher, a parent, a loved one, whoever that might be, I want you to know you are in prime position for God to use you, for God to select you. Because we serve a God who loves, loves to select what the world rejects. Amen? Amen. You need to know that this morning. All of us are going to deal with rejection from time to time. Everybody in this room, rejection isn't a dead end. It's simply a redirection. It's an opportunity to realize that that person isn't the one for me. That situation isn't the one for me. God's got something better for me than this thing, this person, this group that's rejected me. Everybody in this room has done some really stupid things to get acceptance from people at some point in time, haven't we? I mean, Jacob went out and tried to pull this stone off by himself that it's supposed to take eight guys to push off, and everybody in this room can identify with that. We've done something totally ridiculous to try to get somebody to to embrace us, to get somebody to accept us. Uh, And I want you to know today, maybe Jacob, if he would have known this back then, maybe maybe Leah, if she would have known this back then, it wouldn't have been the same. But God has already accepted you. You don't earn his acceptance. He accepted you the minute that that he created you, the minute that he formed you. He said, I'm making you in my image, and I'm sending my son to die for you to pay the price for your sins. So all you've got to do is receive him, and you're accepted into my family. You're chosen. In fact, do this. Turn to three people and say, I'm chosen.
In my notes, it's supposed to say, turn to three people and say, you're chosen. And I switched it because you know what? I think it's more powerful for us to be able to speak it over ourselves. Because sometimes it's easy to believe that somebody else is chosen. But it's a lot harder to believe that I am. So I want you to know today, in fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Just write down, I am chosen. God has chosen you. He's embraced you. He's accepted you. You're chosen. Leah is chosen. And yet, despite being chosen by God, she doesn't realize the significance of it in that moment. And so she's still chasing after something else from her husband, from man. So she starts having babies. There's nothing wrong with having babies. We are pro-babies, man. Somebody who's about to have my second child or my wife's about to birth our second child. Having babies can be a lot of fun. There's some great things that come from having babies. It's God's plan to replenish the earth. It's God's command to be fruitful and multiply. It's a great way to grow a church. Amen. Uh, man, we're, we're pro having babies. Side note, Mother's, Mother's Day is coming up. We got baby dedications on Mother's Day again this year. Uh, so keep that in mind if you've got a new child you want to dedicate. Um, but, but all kidding aside, having babies is going to be a great thing. But if you're having babies for the wrong reason, it can be a really empty thing. Leah wasn't having babies because she was excited for the opportunity to grow a child. She was having babies because she wanted her husband to love her. How many teenage girls are there out there? They're 16 and pregnant, not just because some guy took advantage of them, but because deep down inside they thought, you know what? Maybe if I have a baby, that kid will actually love me. Maybe I'll actually know what it's like to be loved if I bring that child into the world. And can I just warn you right now, young person, that may seem very attractive in the moment. That may seem like something that's going to fix it. But, but if he's not enough for you, that baby will never be enough. It won't. It just won't. And you don't realize the damage you're going to do to your life, the damage you're going to do to that child's life. Man, having babies is a great thing, and one day you're going to get there, and God's going to be, be able to bless you in a great way. But don't do it for the wrong reason. Man, we can do so many good things with the wrong motivation, and that thing that, that seems so good ends up turning around and, and costing us and hurting us. And so often when we do things to try to impress somebody else, to get acceptance from somebody else, that's exactly what will happen. So Leah starts having babies. Verse 32 says, Leah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. True. Praise God. The Lord has seen her misery. But then she says something so sad. She says, surely my husband will love me now. Why she have her son? Because she wanted her husband to love her. Guess what? It didn't work. Because verse 33, it says, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And so she named him Simeon. Didn't stop there. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. And we don't have time to study the meaning behind all of these names. But if I had time to show you, each name is related to the statement that she makes at the birth. Uh, if you've got your Bible and you want to study this this week, you can go back and there will be a footnote and it will explain to you uh, what, what those names mean. Verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And I'll tell you that one. That one means praise. It's a pretty special name to me. If you don't know, it's my son's name. Uh, then she stopped having children for a minute. Uh, what we can see here is a picture of so many lives producing things to try and get approval. Leah's popping out babies like a dugger on fertility drugs, and, and she's not getting 
the satisfaction that she wants. Yes, I did write that joke in my notes, and yes, I am proud of it. Um, You can pop stuff out. You can make great grades. You can make money. You can produce this. You can start a business. You can do anything and accomplish anything in your power to try and get approval, but it's not going to be enough. Achievement for the sake of acceptance is always empty. There comes a time when you have to decide to praise God for who he's made you to be. So that brings us to Rachel. We've kind of looked at Leah. We're going to move on to chapter 30 with the very next verse. Chapter 30, verse 1 is going to show us what's going on in Rachel's life. You see, we think Rachel, she's the one who's got it all. She's beautiful. She's got the figure. She's got the low body fat percentage. She's got the love of her husband. What could Rachel possibly be needing? What she, could she be wanting? But we're going to find out Rachel's miserable too. Leah's miserable for one reason on one end of the spectrum, and Rachel's miserable on the other. Verse 1, chapter 30 says, When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children, or I'll die. Leah's over here, jealous of Rachel, jealous of the love that Rachel has, jealous of the look that Rachel has, jealous of the attention and the approval that Rachel gets, and that Rachel's over here, jealous of the achievement of Leah, jealous of what Leah can produce, jealous of what Leah can do. And she feels empty, and she feels lonely, and she feels hurt because she can't do the thing that her sister can do. Both women are blessed by God. Both women are chosen by God for a great purpose. Both women are favored by God, and yet both women are miserable. How good are we at looking at the thing that we don't have and never realizing the thing that we do? Both of these women are totally oblivious to how blessed they really are. All they can see is what their sister has that they don't. Verse 2 says, Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? In other words, he says, Look, girl, it's not my fault. Take a look at Leah. My stuff's working just fine. Thank you. Uh, We're producing fine on this side. Take it up with God. There's something wrong with you. It's so dramatic. This this is what he says. I'm just, just telling you what it says. So dramatic. She says, Give me children or I'll die. She's so desperate to have the achievement, even though she already has the approval. Let me tell you something, young people. Some of you are jealous of a person at school, uh, of a group of people at school, perhaps. You're jealous of the way that they look. You're jealous of the money that they have. You're jealous of their popularity, their personality, their athletic ability, whatever it might be. And you don't realize how empty that person is inside. You so badly wish you could trade places with them, and you have no idea that they cry themselves to sleep at night. You have no idea the emptiness. And so if you're not careful, you'll go through life, your whole life, trying to imitate somebody who's actually miserable. I want to break that off of you today. Don't try and be anybody but you. Embrace who God's made you to be. Embrace what God's placed in you. Embrace the way that God has made you. You don't have to be somebody else. God's made you special. God made you beautiful. God's made you with the purpose. God's placed a calling on your life. You don't have to have what somebody else has. So many people strive for that and they miss out on what God's really doing in their life. Rachel decides, you know what, I can't wait on God to do this. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to fix this problem. So verse 3 says, then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her. Jacob's like, okay, baby, if that's what I got to do, I'll do what I got to do. 
and he sleeps with his girl. Verse 4, so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. And I'm going to fly through the rest of this because I know that we don't have a ton of time left. And the, the details here, you're going to hear a lot of names, a lot of babies, a lot of women, a lot of stuff's going to happen. I don't need you to grasp a hold of every detail or be able to, like, recite the whole family tree. What I want you to see is the drama that's going on here because I want you to see that we're not the first jacked-up generation. Sometimes we make it out like, man, the world's so terrible and it used to be so awesome. And, man, the good old days. And can you just be real? Like, sin is still sin, And sin's been destroying generations for generations. Uh, And so I want you to see that 4,000 years ago, they were still jacked up. Uh, And we've got like the real housewives of Haran going on here with all the drama. Uh, It's nuts. Verse 6, Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He's listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. She's not going to feel that way for long, but in this moment, she thinks she has won. She's beaten her sister by giving her, her ser- him her servant. It's crazy. So she names him Naphtali. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and she gave her to Jacob to be a wife. So they're just like trying to one-up each other. Like it's the most ridiculous competition ever. Um, Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. I don't think that's going to last very long, do you? No, it's not going to. She says, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. Anytime you tie your happiness to somebody else's appraisal of you, that happiness isn't going to last very long. What was her happiness based on? Well, Jacob may not love me, but the women are going to envy me. The women are going to look at me. The women are going to call me blessed. And so she tied her happiness to somebody else's opinion. And anytime your happiness is based on what somebody else thinks, it's going to be taken away real quick. Because people's opinions change daily. And her happiness was fleeting. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants. At this point in time, mandrake plants were were both an aphrodisiac, and they were also considered to be something that would help fertility. So they were going to help your chances of getting pregnant. Uh, And so Reuben brings these to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah said to Rachel, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? This is so dramatic. Uh, Husband mandrakes like really you're comparing these two things uh very well rachel says he can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes so they make a trade based on who jacob is going to spend the night with uh verse 16 so when jacob came in from the fields that evening there was leah crazy eyes again what's up baby (laughs) look what she says you must sleep with me (laughs) She's not very confident that he's going to be excited to see her. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. What a funny, I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. How is this even possible? Maidens and mandrakes, all representing our attempts to control our future, when ultimately God is the one who we need to let steer it. So they're giving away maidens, they're giving away their servants, they're trying to find mandrakes, they're trying somehow to get in control of their life, Instead of turning to the one who truly can be in control. You see all this manipulation? If I can just do this, if I can just have that, if I can just try some of this, I'm going to get this thing that I so badly want. Verse 17, 
says, so God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant, pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth, sixth son. Why can I not say sixth? Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. All this stuff that Rachel had tried. She tried giving away her servant. She tried getting some mandrakes and making a trade for some mandrakes. She tried everything she knew of in her own power. And she was never able to accomplish what she really wanted, which was to have a kid. And in one moment of God remembering her and stepping into her situation, God was able to do something that through her whole life Rachel couldn't do for herself. Isn't that so true? All of us who have tried the maidens of the world and the mandrakes of the world, all of us who have tried to get to that place of fulfillment, who have tried to get to that place of satisfaction, who have tried to get to that place of acceptance, that place of approval, and failed. Man, if we try that on our own, we'll never get there. But all it takes is one experience with God, one touch from God, one moment in God's presence, and all that can turn around. And it all changed for Rachel in one moment. Where God remembered her. Verse 23, she became pregnant. She gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. We have to stop there. Next week, we'll talk about the other son. In fact, Jimmy Fulp's going to be bringing the word next week. He's going to talk about this other son and tell you about this other son. And it's going to be encouraging to you. I think it's going to be the best message in the series. I'm kind of jealous he gets to preach it, to be honest with you. But I'll get over it. Uh, I'll, I'll deal with it. Uh, I, I promise it's going to be incredible as he talks about Benjamin, this other son, and you discover the, the significance of calling things whatever God's placed in your heart. But as we wrap up today, uh, I want us to fast forward very quickly, 2,000 years. We're 4,000 years ago at Jacob. We're going to fast forward 2,000 years. This is the beginning of a book. The first book of the New Testament is the book of Matthew. And if you've ever tried to read through the New Testament or read through the Bible, you probably get to Matthew chapter 1, and if you're like me, you get really discouraged and really frustrated because Matthew chapter 1 starts out with the most easy-to-overlook part of the Bible. It's a genealogy. Uh, and there's 42 generations. It goes from Abraham to David, 14 generations, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to Babylon. Babylon to the person that the book of Matthew is about, this guy named Jesus. Hopefully you've heard of him. And in those 42 generations, there's a whole bunch of names that I I could read to you and pretend that I know how to pronounce, but I don't. Um, So we're not going to do most of those, but i got to show you just the beginning and the end of the genealogy because this is so significant. If Leah could have seen Matthew chapter 1, I think it could have changed her whole feeling of frustration. I think it would have radically changed the way she approached life. Matthew chapter 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the one who will rescue the world, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. Who was Judah's mom? Judah was Leah's fourth son. Leah was the neglected wife, the wife that Jacob never even wanted, the one he didn't even want to be with. And God chose, and trust me, he had options because Jacob had a lot of kids, but God chose to grab the son of the ignored wife, the son of the neglected wife, the son of the rejected wife, and said, I'm bringing my Jesus through you. How encouraging is that? 
You see, this is what God still does to this day. God wants to grab empty, neglected, ignored, rejected people and bring Jesus to the world through them. It's the opportunity he extends to us. I'm going to bring Jesus to the world. I just simply need you to make some room. And so God brings Jesus to the world through Leah, through Judah. We go forward in the genealogy to verse 16. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Jesus came through Leah. Anybody who's here today who's neglected, who's rejected, who's ignored, anybody who's fought and strived and pursued approval from some person and failed, can I just tell you today, God's approval is so much greater. And Leah had God's approval. She just didn't know it. She just didn't realize that she just wasn't aware of it, what God was doing in her life. But I don't want to overlook Rachel either because there, maybe there's some people in this room who you've pursued achievement. You've tried to accomplish something. You've tried to, to become that star athlete to make dad happy or to become that star student to, to impress a professor or, or to become that, that great employee to impress a boss or, or whoever it is. You've tried achievement as the route to approval. Let me, to approval. Let me say this to you. Rachel wasn't neglected here either because Rachel was the mother of Joseph. And Joseph was the one who saved the whole family. He became second in command in all of Egypt. And because of him and his wisdom that God had placed inside of him, uh, he, he prevented this famine from wiping out the whole region. There never would have been a Jesus if there wasn't a Joseph. So God used Leah and he used Rachel. One is jealous of the other for her look and her acceptance. The other's jealous of her sister for her ability to produce. And neither one realized what God was at work in their life. So all I want to do with this message today is is take the blinders off to help you to realize that God's at work, help you to see the acceptance that he's already extended to you. So I want to wrap up. I want to show you two pictures, two charts uh, as we wrap up. If you'll put up that picture of the the generation for me. Here we go. Um, This I wish Jacob and Leah could see this. This is me and my Photoshop skills, the very limited Photoshop skills. So you can laugh at the diagram all you want to, but this is what I put together. At the top, you see Jacob. He's the one guy in blue. You may or may not be able to read the words where you're at. And we see Jacob, the four different women who he makes babies with. Um, And so there's Leah and Jacob, and they produce... Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar. You see a girl on that generation. That's actually not Dinah, their daughter. That's Bathsuda. That's Judah's wife. So Judah marries Bathsuda. Their names rhyme. I don't know why they did that, but they did it. And they have two sons. They have a son named Perez and a son named Zerah. And if you read through the genealogy of Jesus, you're going to see these names. You're going to see Jacob, the father of Judah, the father of Perez, and on down the line. In their generation... All Leah and Rachel could see is the kids that they had. All they could see was was what was right in front of them. They saw Dan. They saw Naphtali. They saw Gad. They saw Asher. They saw Joseph and Benjamin, even Perez and Zira and the others in the next generation. But that's all they could see. They didn't realize what God was up to. But let's put that other picture up. This isn't even the genealogy of Jesus. This is the map of Israel. And in this map, you see those same names. You see Asher and Naphtali. You see Zebulun and Dan and Gad and Ephraim and Reuben and Simeon and even Judah. Why? Because those 12 sons that they had through this jacked up, messed up family, we made mistake after mistake after mistake. God said, I'm bringing Jesus to the world through those 12. 
I'm going to create a nation out of them. And I'm going to make each one of them a tribe that will proclaim to the world my goodness. That will proclaim to the world my acceptance. That will proclaim to the world that you don't have to achieve anything because I've already achieved it for you. All you've got to do is give your life to me. See, we get so focused on the circumstances of our day-to-day life. And we get discouraged. And we look at somebody else who's got the approval. And somebody else who's got the acceptance. And all the other people around us who have all the things that we think we want or we think we deserve. Or we think, man, what would it be like to have that? Can I just dare you today to believe that God is up to something great in your life? Can I dare you today to believe that God wants to bring Jesus to the world through you? That God wants to declare his goodness through your life. And you may not see it right now. You may not feel it right now. But if you will simply press into him, if you will simply turn to him, if you will simply give him the room to move in your life, I guarantee you there's something significant he wants to do. There's a generation he wants to impact. There's a neighborhood he wants to change. There's a family he wants to deliver. There's a life he wants to save. And he wants to do it through you. Amen?